We now begin Meseches Yevamos, and this will be the introduction to the Mesechta. Meseches Yevamos is the first of the seven Mesechtas in Seder Nashim. Uh, and Seder Nashim, as the name implies, deals primarily with marital law. Um, there are two Mesechtas, Nadarim and Nazir, which are more tenuously connected. But the other Mesechtas, including Kedushin, which deals with the first age of marriage, Ksuvos, the marriage contract, Gitin, the bill of severance, the divorce, Sota, the unusual situation of the suspected infidelitous wife, and the finally Yavamos, Armzechta, uh, clearly deal with marriage law. Yavamos here is first, and um, one of the reasons given, and my preferred explanation, Margalesayam, is that all the Masechtas go simply in, in decreasing within the Seder, go within go in an order of decreasing number of prakim, of reducing number of chapters. So the biggest Masechta goes first, uh, regardless of um, sort of the logical sequence. Um, I'm well aware that the Rambam, Eri, and others take other approaches, um, but it, I think it's the simplest way to see it. And here we see the biggest Masechta by far in Nashim is Yivamos. And... Um, Arguably also one of the most, not just one of the largest sectors in Shas, um, but also perhaps one of the most most difficult. So the basic topic of Masechus Yevamos is the dual mitzvah that the Torah presents um, in the event that a person dies without any descendants whatsoever, and he has a living brother. So in such a scenario, there's a mitzvah of Yibum, which is for the surviving brother to marry the widow of the deceased brother, and therefore propagate the name of the deceased brother. In the event that a marriage between the two is inappropriate, um, so ill-advised or undesirable, but not necessarily forbidden by Torah law, there's a plan B. Uh, plan B is chalitza, which is literally means to cholet lachlotz is to remove. It's referring to the removal of the shoe, as we'll see uh, shortly in the, in the verses. The procedure of chalitza entails the removal of the shoe of the living brother, but the what it effects is, in place of doing yibum, there's no marriage. There's like the severance of the connection. Now, so many unfamiliar things are happening here. I think the best way to approach introduction to the Masechta is to do a close reading of the verses which discuss the mitzvah, um, and I will explain the drushas that Rashi brings. Um, which I think will sort of give us a picture of what's going on in the Masechta. And along the way, also, I'm trying to weave in an explanation of, of Rav Hirsch, as well as um, the Ramban and others explaining sort of um, sort of the spirit and maybe like the Kabbalistic or more spiritual behind-the-scenes um, set up what's happening here. So let's start with the beginning. First of all, in English, the word Yavamos, often translated as Leverite marriage, very unfamiliar word, and probably one that's confounded people have seen it. The word levir, L-E-V-I-R, in Latin refers to brother-in-law. Leverit marriage being therefore like the brother-in-law marriage. Um, and that's that's the best we can do in English. There's no other word for that. Um, but it's just essentially made up. In any case, um, inside the verses, so if you look, look in Parshas Kitetse, this is in Devarim, uh, in Perik Chafei, chapter 25, starting from verse 5. Um, there are six verses here which have all the mitzvahs that we're talking about here, of Yvamos and Chalitza. And the verse says, Ki yeshfu achim yachdav, when 
it should happen there are two brothers who literally dwell together. That means that they're alive at the same time. And um, uh, that's important, meaning that if a brother died and after his death, his parents have another child, his father has another child, so then um, that that new child is born too late, that new son is born too late, and there's no mitzvah of yibum. And we're talking about people who live contemporaneously, at least their lives overlap in part. And that's the not from the words ki yeshu achim, in truth. Yachdav, um, which means together, it tells you that we're talking brothers that are connected, um, and that means brothers that are connected through the laws of uh, inheritance, nachala, where one brother inherits another brother's um, estate in the event that he has no living father. So that comes to exclude brothers who are half-brothers through their mother, meaning the mitzvah of yibum only applies to two brothers who share the same father. Whether or not they share the same mother is not relevant. Um, and furthermore, like I said, if they share the same mother but not the same father, there's no such mitzvah. So that means um, anything beyond brothers who are from the same father, there's no such thing as the mitzvah of yibum, and which means, like for example, when we talk about the relationship, what happened between Yehuda and Tamar, where Yehuda had originally married one of his, his children off to Tamar, but then he ends up marrying her, and the verse actually refers to yibum there. Um, but since Yehuda was not a brother, but rather a father of Tamar's late husband, so technically that's not Yibum, that's just a borrowed term. Yibum only applies technically if two brothers share the same father. Same goes, <coughs> excuse me, the same goes uh, regarding uh, the story of Rus. Um, when Boaz marries Rus, so Boaz is not the brother of Machlon, the late deceased husband of Rus, and therefore, um, although there is the verses do talk about Hakamas Hashem, a propagating of his name, the same way that we have in our verses here, there's actually, it's not technically Yibum at all, it's just sort of like, it's a Yibum-like event. Okay. Furthermore, says the Pasuk, Umeis Achad Mehem, if one of those brothers die, Uven Einlo, and he, the deceased, has no son. Now, the Gemara makes a drasha that didn't say like without children. It says like bleed ban or something. It says uven einlo. So the drasha is, it's as if it says those extra words, ayinlo, investigate into him, which comes to say that we don't need just any, specifically a son, even a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter, etc. Any living descendant whatsoever would be sufficient to obviate the need to do yibum. Yibum is only applying where this, the, uh, deceased has absolutely no living descendants at the time of his death. Okay? So then, that widow, the wife of the other deceased fellow, she shouldn't go to any old outside man, like unfamiliar out of her family, if you will. Instead, her brother-in-law, he should marry her. He'll he'll sleep with her, and he'll take her to be a wife in every normal sense. In other words, the way that this is being set up is that the living brother 
essentially steps into the dead brother's shoes, propagating his name. And that being the case, he's basically just kind of doing a, the marriage, if you will, on Paul's and being resumed. And therefore, there's no, on a Torah level, there's no need to do any kind of formalities such as Kedushin, you know, no giving of a ring, no chuppah, no ksuba, none of that. He simply, she just sort of moves into his bed and they become husband and wife and things go on as an extension, if you will, of the brother. Now, the deceased brother. Um, now, the rabbis wanted to give more gravitas and, and to, the, to the relationship and give it sort of, make sure it gets sort of the respect and dignity and sanctity that it deserves. And therefore, rabbinically, there is something that's sort of akin to a Kedushin, where the living brother will give, let's say, you know, a ring or whatever it is, uh, either Kesef or Star, something of value or a contract, like Kedushin, to um, his Yavama, the, the widow. Um, but that's, and it's called Ma'amar, but it's rabbinic in nature, just it's very much analogous to Kedushin. And similarly, there'll be rabbinically a, a chuppah with um, the bracha sent under the chuppah in front of 10 people. He, similarly, he will give her a kasuva, um, all that's rabbinic in nature, but it's to make this marriage get, like I said, the dignity and weight that it, it deserves as a, as a marriage. But just make sure technically, so it's clear, prior to Yibam happening, the only way to dissolve the connection between the widow and her living brother-in-law, the Yavam, which has a technical term called azika, zika or zakuk, means that she is like connected to him, there's a, a bond that must be dealt with. Um, so that bond, that zika, can only be broken with chalitza or yibum. Once he performs yibum, they're married in every normal way, and therefore the only way to dissolve the bond at that point is no longer chalitza. Chalitza is not relevant. Rather, he needs a full-blown get, a regular bill of divorce like any other, any other marriage. Until she deals with that zika, as the Pasuk says, she can't go and marry anybody else, to out of the family to any old man. Um, and the way that once she is released from the zika and she can, so the way that Chazal refers to that is that she's free um, to the shuk, to the, to the open, you know, the, the marketplace of potential husbands. So penuyla shuk, she's available to whomever. That happens after the zika, the connection, is um, severed through a chalitza. Which yeah, the Mishnah is only here talking about the the uh, excuse me the pasuk is only talking about the yibum so far. Okay, now why are we doing this? So the first thing you have to understand is the Torah already prohibits a person from marrying his brother's wife, whether the brother is you know alive and they're divorced or dead, as sort of portrayed in our Mishnah. It's actually an explicit prohibition. It's in Parshas Achremos and Vayikra, Perkirches, Pasuk Tazayin, Ervas Eishes Achichel O Sigale, Ervas Achichahi. You're not allowed to, it's hard to translate exactly, you're not allowed to marry your brother's wife. It's an incestuous relationship and forbidden. And therefore, this mitzvah of Yibam was coming to override that rather, the, the standard procedure, which is that your brother's wife is forever forbidden to you as an incestuous relationship. And the reason why we're doing that is because the Torah looks at this as a tremendous tragedy. A person, every person wants to leave a legacy. He has assets he wants to pass on. He has genes he wants to pass on. He has a worldview he wants to pass on. And, and he has none of that if this person dies with any descendants. That's sort of tragic. Every person in the Kalei should have their role and their legacy to pass on. And therefore, 
what we're doing is we're giving um, what's called the Hakam shame, as the Pasuk will say now, like a continuation of the name of the deceased. And that happens through the marriage between the living brother and, and his wife. Now, on a more, um, like the Ramban and so on a more Kabbalistic level, what's happening is this, the soul of the deceased is coming down into the body of the child that we born from this, from this, uh, from the Ibum, from this new relationship. So we're facilitating a way for the soul to get a second chance, if you will, by setting up this marriage. More than that in a few, few psukim. Now, um, the next verse, Pasuk Vav says, Vahaya habachor asher teled yakum al shem achiv hameis belo yim chashmom Yisrael. Now, there's an ambiguity here. It says here, Vahaya habachor, the firstborn, which sounds asher teled, like the verse is referring to the firstborn child from this marriage. But actually, the way to learn it is not like that. But rather, we're talking about the older brother of who survives has, you know, he is the one to whom it should first fall the option to perform yibum. And in so doing, um, that marriage itself will be yakum al shem achiv. That will propagate the, the name of the deceased. That's uh, important and essential because if it would be a question of just like the bechor being born, who says it will be a bechor? Who says the firstborn won't be a girl? And so on. Um, similarly, the word bechor doesn't mean specifically the firstborn living brother only. Um, can do it, whether he just gets the first, first um, he's the first go-to person, because otherwise the previous Joshua, for example, where he said they had to be um, contemporaneously alive, wouldn't apply. Obviously, if he's the first brother is alive and the second brother has now died, they had a life that overlapped, etc. So that's the case here. And like I said before, really the continuation happens from the moment of the marriage as opposed to the child being born, even without that soul coming down again. Um, and that's why the brother who d- performs Yibum, he automatically inherits the entire estate of the late brother because he's really picking up and continuing where the previous uh, brother, if you will, left off in his avodah, you know, his work on planet Earth. Now, the verse here says, Asher Teleid, that... Um, she will give birth. So that tells you that the woman has to be a woman who could give birth. So that means if, for example, she was what's an, called an Ilanus, a woman who never reaches sexual maturity, and therefore she, this is the widow, and she therefore, it was never on the cards for her to have children. So therefore, the late brother, her husband, was already sort of, his line was cut off at that point. And therefore, there'll be no mitzvah of doing even with this woman as well. Remember the point, although the the continuation of the life of the deceased continues right away from the marriage, but the purpose here is ideally to give, have a child who will um, propagate, not just, you know, propagate the father, and if there's no possibility of having a child, there's no mitzvah of doing even whatsoever, the whole thing is exempt, meaning if the only, if the widow, she's the only widow and she is an Ilanus, so therefore she would automatically be Pnei Lashuk, there'd be no Zika from the, from the outset. Okay. Um, Similarly, when it says Lo Yim Chashmo, his name shouldn't be um, cut off, wiped out from the Jewish people. So that means um, it's someone who otherwise would have had a name propagated. So if a person, if he, the deceased, had been a Sris, someone who biologically couldn't have children, so similarly then, there's no mitzvah to perform even 
on the wife and said she's there's no zika and she's free to go. Um, Any time, by the way, where there's no mitzvah to do yibum, so there's no mitzvah to do chalitza, and in fact yibum or chalitza will be totally ineffective. There might just be an isrkaris to do it. She's not going to be married through yibum. She can't be married through yibum. You can't marry your brother's, even your late brother's sister, except if there's a mitzvah per se of doing yibum yeah, or chalitza. Says the next verse. Now, um, oh, by the way, I should say it says, since the Pusik says, Yakum al Shem Achiv, like will be stood up in the name of the deceased brother, it doesn't mean like Yikra, it doesn't mean that the child has to be named after the late father. Can if it wants to, it's a mitzvah per se to name the child um, that way. Okay? Now the, Mishnah, the verse continues on, Pusik Zain, Vimlo Yach Potsaish, Lakachas Esyavimto. If the living brother doesn't want to, I'll call it, marry his sister-in-law, so then the widow, she will go to the, the gates of the Bezdin, of the courts, where the Zakanim, the elders, the, 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 the judges are, and she'll say, Excuse me. She says, um, my brother-in-law refuses to propagate the name of his brother in Israel. He won't marry me. So then in Pasuk So then the elders of the city, the Bezin, will call in the brother-in-law and they'll speak to him. And the Gemara goes on to say, they speak to him to give him advice. Should he get married to her? Shouldn't he get married to her? And if there's a great disparity in their ages or their compatibility for whatever reason, because of health, because of occupation and so on, they will then definitely not talk him into it. They'll talk him out of it. Um, we're only doing this uh, consensual, consensually if it makes sense for everyone. Um, we're not doing it if, if it's that. We're not advising to do it if, if it's not, take the word consensual out of here. We're not advising them to do it um, or encouraging them to do it unless it's appropriate in the eyes of the judges. And then assuming he doesn't want to do it, he then will stand up and he will say, I do not want to take her as a wife. So the verse specifically says, he stands up, and therefore the mitzvah is, this has to be done standing up specifically. And when it says, he will say, it doesn't say like, he responds, but amar, which tells you that it has to be um, these very words he has to say, and therefore he has to say them in Lashna Kodesh, in the words of the Pesukim. And um, we learn back that that will also apply to her in the previous verse where she says she also will have to say um, same goes she'll have to say it also in Hebrew in the same exact text Lash Kodesh says Pasuk Zayin the Niksha Yevimto Elav so then she the widow will approach him Le'ene Hazakanen before the elders of the Bezdin, she'll remove his shoe from on his foot, and she'll spit on the ground before him. Not in his face, although it actually could read the panav as if it's like in his face, but no, it's not. She removes the shoe from his foot, but then spits on the ground. And then she responds, saying, Thus is done to the person who who will not uh, build up um, a home for his brother. Now, the fact, first of all, 
it says it says Yivna that will not tells you that um, once the chalitz is done, so there's no possibility of even later on. She becomes now forever more forbidden to this person. It's sort of a now or never setup. Um, and then the, the last verse of the section says the Shmo Yisrael base chalutz naal. This guy's name, the brother-in-law, his name will be known in in Israel and Jewish people as base chalutz naal, the guy who had his shoe taken off, removed from him. And since it says Yisrael, so the Marsha understands, therefore there's a mitzvah for those who are standing there in the Bezdin to actually call him Chalutza Na'al, the guy whose shoe was taken over. Um, now, what's going on here in this last part with the Chalitza? So, the mystical sources, but you can look the Ramban, Amchel Mashir, you can look at the Malbim, on the verses that talk about Moshe Rabbeinu's Shalna Lecha Marag Lecha, when Moshe Rabbeinu was told to take his shoes off at the burning bush, the Malbim explains there also, um, more explicitly than the Ramban does here, that we're dealing here with the possibility of like a reincarnation of the soul of the deceased brother. And a shoe is really the metaphor for the, the body, because the same way a person moves this world and is able to do it without getting hampered or harmed, and he safely can do so, even though he doesn't have direct contact with the world, is with his shoes. So, so too, the shoe is like the body, because the body is what allows the soul to enter this world. It doesn't come into direct contact and get sullied by it. It's protected by the body, if you will, but it uses the body as the vehicle through which it can um, pass through and act on this world. And that being the case, if the living brother is refusing to provide a vehicle by which the deceased brother's soul and name um, can be passed on um, in this world. So that's like, that's potentially, if it's inappropriate, that's considered like disgraceful. Um, and therefore, the spitting on the ground is sort of the show of contempt. And he's actually called the guy whose shoe was removed because it's like he wouldn't provide a shoe, meaning symbolically like a, like a body, if you will, for his brother's, late brother's soul to come. Now, That's the that's the the basic conceptual setup of what's happening over here. Um, now, first of all, I want to uh, say a number of things. The first thing I want to say is that this only applies in this context I set it up. In a practical case, nowadays we don't do yibum at all. All such scenarios are are done as um, chalitza. If this ever happens, there's no yibum anymore, and that's been going on since really Talmudic times. But the Torah here is setting up that these two possibilities. We don't actually, importantly, the way the Torah is set up, we don't force a person to do yibum. The, at all events, we can yibum or chalitz are equal, equal options. Um, now, things are a little more complicated if there are more wives or there are more brothers. So let me just speak that out very briefly here, and then we'll end the introduction, and we'll see more in the Mishnah. If the the woman, the widow, is an erva, she's a forbidden. The relationship between her and the living brother prohibits them from getting married in the first place. So then this whole mitzvah doesn't kick in. So even though the Torah is um, saying that the the Isser Karas, the prohibition that carries Karas, the penalty, um, for marrying your brother's wife is put aside for the sake of you, that's because there's no other options. There's no one else to do it. But any other Isser Karas, any other um, erva, any other incestuous relationship that carries a penalty of cars, 
that's not overridden by the mitzvah of Yibam. So just for example, there are two brothers, Reuven and Shimon. Reuven has a daughter, and Shimon, the brother, marries Reuven's daughter, his niece. So then, if now Shimon dies without any children, Reuven will not marry his daughter to Yibam because it's a daughter, and his daughter's a it's an ancestor's relationship. It's, it's an heir that's forbidden to him. Okay? So, in such a scenario, as soon as Shimon dies, so then the the daughter or the woman, the widow, is automatically free to marry whoever she wants. There's no Zika to anybody. If there were three brothers, so Reuben, Shimon, and Levi, and Shimon married Reuben's daughter, so when, should Shimon die, there will still be mitzvah for Levi, the other brother, to marry his niece, Shimon's daughter, excuse me, uh, Reuven's daughter, because Levi is not, there's no prohibition there, and beyond the, your brother's wife, which is being pushed off because of the mitzvah of Um Now, similarly, if there are multiple wives, so let's say back to case one, Reuven has a daughter, Shimon marries Reuven's daughter, Reuven and Shimon are brothers, and therefore Shimon is marrying his niece. But let's say that Shimon has another wife, unrelated, so now he has two wives. In the event that he dies without children, so because Reuven can't marry his own daughter, he also can't marry his daughter's co-wives. And the Hebrew word for co-wife is a tsara, like from the word like um, tsarot, like, you know, tribulations, because they don't get along so well, um, presumably. In any case, the rule is if any of the wives that are living can't marry a brother because of an Issacharist, like, for example, one of the wives is the daughter of of the brother who lives. So then all of the wives are off the hook. They're all exempt. None of them have any Zika, and they all are, can marry whoever they want. Um, again, of course, if there's a third brother, Levi, who's not related to any of the living wives, then Levi has to marry, do Yibum, I should say, or Chalitz with any one of those uh, living women, the, the widows. And then once Yibum or Chalitz is done with any one of them, all the rest are now free to go. The Zika is severed for all of them when the Zika is addressed by Yib Morchlita with any any one of them. Um, now, as I said, nowadays you only do Chalitza, so it's, but it is done. Nowadays there are Chalitza done. It is, is done in the Bezdin, and um, one can see it done. Um, they use a very fancy special shoe. Um, this shoe is a leather shoe that covers most of the foot, and actually consistent with sort of the, interpret, the unusual shoe, but it's it's consistent with the um, this metaphor that it's got to be a shoe that protects the foot, so it has to be leather as opposed to like felt, has to cover most of the foot, um, and so on. So it's it's, um, it's a ritual to itself. But um, in any case, that's that's the story in a nutshell. I think I'm going to pause there in terms of my introduction, and now we'll begin with Hashem, the first Mishnah of Yivamos, where we'll learn more.